Cypher podcast, my guest today is Mikhail Davidoff from Duo Labs, who just published some very cool research on Apple's T2 security chip, which is now in all the new MacBook Pros, I think, coming out in this latest line that they released, and it's been in some of their uh, machines up until now. I think the the iMacs and some of the, the larger machines, but now it's going to be in all the MacBooks, and it does a whole bunch of security stuff, and Mikhail uh, did like kind of a pretty in-depth teardown of it in his um, secret mad scientist lair out in uh, Seattle. So, um, Mikhail, thanks for being here. And um, I just wanted to kind of start and talk about like, what were you thinking you'd find when you got into this? Like, did you have any assumptions going into it about, you know, what kind of functionality it it had and what kind of um, features and, and what you'd find once you got in there? Hey, Dennis. Thanks for having me on again. Um, so when I, when I started this process and it came into it kind of with a, with a blank slate, it was a new platform to me. It was my first big deep dive into the Apple ecosystem in a, in a very long time and uh, came into it not knowing what to expect. And there wasn't that much detail publicly available yet. So there there was not much to, to work from initially. Okay, so let's try and like back it up a little and tell people what exactly does the T2 do? What is the functionality that that, that chip uh, has in the Apple systems these days? Yeah. So the T2 is Apple's new security co-processor. The easiest way to reason about it is that it's before any other system functions actually occur. It's literally running a fork of iOS internally. Okay. And so it, it handles a lot of the security stuff on the on these systems, right? Like it, it but it doesn't yes. do the same thing. It's not it's not a TPM, for example, right? Uh, it's it's not a, a pure TPM. Does it have it does have TPM functionality within it? So it, it powers the the touch bar that you see on the on the MacBook Pro lines, uh, and a part of that is the whole Touch ID thing, and that resides within an internal secure enclave on that die. Okay. Uh, as far as like additional functionality that it's in charge of, there's, um, you know, it gets access to the, the microphone, the camera. Uh, it's in charge of uh, doing doing secure boots and kind of bringing the system up from a powered off state. And the secure boot it's, part is is a lot of what you focused on in the in the uh, blog post and in the, in the paper that you published. How does that process work kind of from beginning, you know, the very, when I press the power button on my MacBook Pro, where does the T2 come in and like, how does it handle the, that secure boot process? Yeah, so the T2 comes into the play well before you even pr- push the power on button. So as soon as the, the, the board has power, meaning either from like battery or when you, when you plug in the iMac Pro, uh, the T2 uh, boots up in a much the same way that an iPhone boots up. So initially, there's this thing called a masked ROM. That's basically uh, the very, very first code that gets executed that's physically burnt into the, the die itself. Okay. Uh, it contains things like the uh, the public key for Apple's firmware signing certificate to, to make sure all the code that it loads is, is secure and is trusted. Uh, it starts up the... Apple iBoot bootloader and then brings up the iOS kernel and boots up an entire user land and then actually starts to listen for uh, power events like you pushing the power button. Once you actually uh, push the power button, it validates uh, an internal copy of 
a UEFI firmware image, which is the, the, the stuff that executes on the x86 side of the equation uh, to, to initialize macOS and bring it up. Um, it basically ends up copying that to uh, some internal flash storage and then uses some new low-level interfaces on the x86 side of things to actually provide that data dynamically over to the system. Okay. In in previous, how is this different from what would have happened in a MacBook without the T2 chip? Yeah. So traditionally, UEFI firmware is stored just on a spy flash chip that's not about to the motherboard. Um, and that, that's how it's been done for, for years and years and years. So this is, this is kind of a deviation from that. They basically got rid of that flash chip altogether. Um, the, the issues with just having spy flash soldered off the motherboard was that it could be easily tampered with. Like somebody could open it up, attach some probes to it, and then completely rewrite the firmware. Um, and UEFI is an interesting beast because it's the, kind of like the, the root of x86 security um, as far as secure boot goes. And the challenge there is that that code has to verify itself. And how can you trust the output of that code when you can't trust what's on there? It's been uh, a, a big headache in the firmware security scene for a while. So Apple putting the T2 in that position allows them to do that initial firmware validation to kind of uh, attest to its integrity before the, the boot process begins. So it kind of kind of makes that problem a little bit better, but there are, there are still issues with Apple's current approach. Okay, so let's get into that. What what are the issues? I mean, you, you just mentioned one that was with the uh, problem with the old approach. What What's the biggest problem that you found with the, the way that Apple approached it? Well, it's not necessarily Apple's fault in this regard uh, because the x86 side of the, the, the platform uh, still treats the, the, the firmware as if it's residing on a, a spy flash strip, and that has traditionally been mutable. So, like, the Intel management in- engine utilizes it for non-volatile storage and storing various configuration properties and things like uh, NVRAM variables, th- things of that nature. Okay. So, fundamentally, it has to be a, a read-write target still to this day. And uh, that, the signature validation that Apple performs only happens in firmware imagery going through a firmware upgrade path. So there, there's still opportunity to rewrite the contents of that chip, be it through um, a, some, some platform vulnerability or through direct hardware access. Okay, and, that, and that's essentially the one of the main purposes of having a hardware security chip like this is to prevent those, you know, being able to change the BIOS or the UAF UEFI firmware at any point, right? Yeah, definitely. They're uh, like like something that they could could do to improve uh, on their current approach is actually do at least some partial validation on the firmware image, like break up the signatures into individual code and data sections, and do validation that at least the code is what they expect it to be. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's a, a problem problem in terms of just how long it would take for every boot, which seems a little bit odd to me, but uh, I, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, they seem to be taking a pretty serious approach to the way that they handle hardware and, and tying hardware security to software security in general. They've been doing that for a long time with the, the iPhone, for example, right? Like they've had 
a lot of this kind of hardware and software security um, relationship for years and years, and it seems like they're trying to bring that over to the to the laptop side of things now. Yeah, but bottom line is like the the iPhone is one of the hardest targets in existence at this point. You, that that's been clearly demonstrated year after year with, you know, uh, for instance, how how much the FBI ended up paying to <laughs> unlock the the San Bernardino iPhone, right? Yeah. Um, and Apple really should be lauded for trying to bring the x86 side of their offering to the same security posture as their mobile offering. So if you're, uh, say, you know, a highly motivated bad guy that is trying to get into, you know, a specific MacBook or MacBooks in general, I mean, are there still, aside from, you know, typical software vulnerabilities, is there anything on the hardware side of things that looks like a, a soft target? It doesn't sound like it. Uh, so the the approach that they took is still vulnerable to hardware attacks. So if you can get in line or even just access to the underlying transport bus called um, eSpy, it's uh, it's an extension. Well, well slave attached flash is, is an extension to the eSpy protocol, which is kind of like a, a debug control interface on X80, modern x86 platforms then they'd be able to actually rewrite the contents of that UEFI image without the T2 actually realizing it and having it serve it out dynamically. Oh, wow. Okay. But that, how difficult is that kind of attack? Uh, I mean, it would require disassembling the hardware and locating where the actual traces are within the, the uh, on the motherboard itself, uh, which I have not been able to actually isolate. I've been looking at it, <laughs> looking for it for a while, but uh, Apple hardware is... Uh, definitely complicated <laughs> <laughs> probably by design i would imagine <laughs> how long did all of this take you from the time you said okay i'm gonna sit down and start tearing this thing apart until um the time you you know obviously the writing the paper itself takes a long time too but um mm -hmm. how long did the research part of it take yeah well on and off it's been about eight months or oh, so God. that i've been looking at it so it's definitely been uh, a long time yeah, that's a long one. Were there any, was there anything that really surprised you once you get started to dig into it? Anything that jumped out and you're like, wow, I wasn't expecting that. The complexity of the platform definitely kind of surprised me. Um, typically in security critical applications, you, you want to do a very small subset of things and do them very, very well to minimize your attack surface. But the, the T2 is literally an entire iPhone. Like, it, it, it boots iOS. It literally boots iOS. Uh, so they're, they're, it, it's, it's quite complex. So it kind of increases the overall attack surface and reduces security. The, the, the function of the T2 would be offloaded to a, a small... Uh, secure processor that that is only in charge of verifying secure boot and not involved with managing the web camera, the microphone, the the hard disk encryption. Um, so so the the general direction of the approach kind of surprised me. I've heard for years and years, you know, researchers say, uh, you know, complexity is generally the enemy of security. Does, do you think you know adding that much complexity is that kind of you know muck things up for lack of a better phrase? Uh, it, it is my personal opinion that, that, yes, it definitely does reduce the security posture of the overall platform. Um, an another concern of mine in regards to the T2 is that 
you know, it's it's booting the exact same kernel that the host OS is booting. So a, a vulnerability in one could affect the other as well. So uh, th this was recently demonstrated. I think I linked to the specific CDE um, in the technical write-up where a single bug was able to target a MacBook Pro, an iPhone, a watch, and uh, uh, iPad, right? Like yeah. the, the T2 falls into the same category there. So one, you know, one small mistake could lead to a, you know, a cascading effect of problems. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, the one different training factor there is that the number and types of interfaces available to actually attack it is, is different than, say, an iPhone. Like, you can't use something like a browser-based exploit against it because there's, there's no browser. Yeah. Um, but there are interfaces that are exposed that are not traditionally available, like the, the, the remote display aspect of it, right? Like a vulnerability in that, if you can pivot to the kernel, then you've uh, basically compromised the, the security of the platform. Which is, you know, obviously what they're trying to protect against by introducing a security chip in the first place. But um, yeah. so how would you say that, the approach that Apple took with the T2 stacks up to the approach that other hardware makers are taking, you know, say with, um, you know, Windows laptops or even some of the Chromebooks. I don't know how much you've had a chance to, to look at those. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen some write-ups about approaches similar to what the T2 is doing uh, in server platforms uh, where they have uh, bare metal uh, virtualization for for infrastructure as a service, um, yeah. typically where they need to like fully scrub the system before giving it off to a, to another customer. It would utilize something uh, pretty much the exact functionality that the T two is exposing on that uh, hardware reset cycle. Um, as far as the Windows side of things, I, I don't think any consumer grade products really. Do it this way. Uh, traditionally, that eSpy slave attached flash interface is reserved for uh, Xeon server SKUs. So, seeing it uh, brought out on the MacBook Pros is, is quite interesting to me. Yeah, I wonder is there any other um, direction you think they're going to go with the T2? I mean, is there room for more? Improvement is a room for other uses for this uh, in the MacBooks. Uh, I mean, it, it's wired in in an extremely privileged position with access to a lot of internal hardware subsystems, and it being a, a full-fledged operating system allows them to basically do whatever they want. All the all the hardware bits are are there, seeing where they take the software side of things will be interesting to see. Yeah. They've done a lot on the software side too, in the last few years, you know, with, with both iOS and Mac OS, they've been adding a whole bunch of new, um, whole bunch of new security features. And they, they definitely don't seem to, you know, rest on their laurels when, when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, so is there any future work that you're going to do with the T2 or are you, you going to try and uh, scrub it from your mind after spending eight months of, uh, <laughs> tearing it down and looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're continuing our work with studying the T2 platform. Our, our next kind of uh, phase is studying the interfaces that are exposed to the host OS, kind of enumerating the attack surface and documenting how to actually interface with it and uh, release some tools around that space. Oh, wow. 
that sounds good. How, is that another eight month project? Are you gonna? Uh, <laughs> no, this this will won't take eight months. I don't believe. Um, you know, being a part of labs, one of our main objectives is kind of to democratize security, and one of those is to enable other researchers to to pick up interesting topics much more quickly and kind of get them to ramp up on platforms much faster so they yeah. can get to doing actual security research versus having to uh, tear apart kind of like mundane aspects of the system. Right. Yeah. Have you heard from any, uh, any other researchers of the community saying like, thank God you guys did this and I didn't have to. <laughs> um, <laughs> not, not that directly, but a lot of people found it very, very interesting. And I, I know there are others now exploring the platform. Yeah, I would imagine. I'm sure as soon as, you know, especially somebody like Apple, as soon as they announce something like that, it's going to draw attention from the research community right away. You know, people are going to want to yeah. get to work and, you know, dig under the cover. So it was really cool. Yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. It was uh, the, you know, 12% of it that I was able to understand was, uh, I thought was awesome. So <laughs> it was nice work, man. Good way to spend a year. Thanks. <laughs> For sure. Uh, all right, Mikhail. Thanks so much for your time, man. It was great talking to you again. And I uh, look forward to whatever else is coming out of the lab soon. Thanks, Dennis. Look forward to speaking with you again. All right. Take care, man.